Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing great. Another great week for us. What did we do this week? What we did, we did... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we went to a party at Atlantic Records to start the summer off, even though it's not summer 16 yet. Yo, Wiz Khalif was there and he debuted two new songs with him and Juicy J. Yep. One of which is All Night. Mixing the kush with the perp. That's how you smoke when you rich. I drop a pin in the lane. That's how you get high shit. Mixing the dark with the white and the bubbly. We gon' just call it a twist. I'ma just pass a little bitch to my bro. We gon' call that an assist. Mix the weed with the drink and let's have a good night. Mix the sand with codeine and she bout to take flight. And she on ecstasy, so she fuckin' all night. Mm-hmm. You know all Khalifa night, man don't night, sleep. Fuckin' all night. Uh. I like the party all night. night. Fuck a bitch black or she white. white. Or the bitch might be from Canada. Canada. Give me her cheese like a manager. manager. A nigga and lame can handle her. Handle her. She give me brain on the camera. camera. Smoke weed but got stamina. stamina. Jen turn me to an animal. animal. Don't Snapchat me that pussy. Y'all want it for real. real. She claim that she ain't fucking but she It is so good. Um, it's, it's really great. And by the way, he brought so much energy to that room. Yo, we saw an assistant lose her shit. There was a dance circle. And it was all basically around Wiz. And some people got in and danced. And it's like, oh, yeah, of course, that person would dance right next to Wiz. And that person would show out. But then this little white girl. Oh, my God. She was like the girl from the Missy video. She killed it. Killed it. She killed it. How much more respect do you have for her right now? Yo, I told her that she needs to get a promotion. Based off her dancing? Based off her dancing. I don't know how good her work is. I'm sure it's fine or whatever. But she needs... She needs to get a promotion. Here's the thing. If you go to a company party and you kill it on the dance floor, going up the company ladder. Yeah, that's why next party that we go to, I got to kill it. Got to kill it. We also this week got a visitor. And and let's give a little backstory to that. We got an email. Subject, going to New York City. Hey, guys. Big fan of the show since the Asher episode. That's Asher Roth. I loved it so much. I went back and listened to every episode before that, which is really nice. Also, love the skits you guys did on the Charles Hamilton mixtape, so he knows of our sketch history, all that. Anyways, the reason for this message is I'm flying in Wednesday from Chicago to New York City for a Charles Hamilton show at SOB's. Only problem is he canceled it and the flight is non-refundable, so I might as well go for the trip. I was wondering if I can hit you up when I'm in town, possibly get a picture with my favorite podcasters. I know you're busy. don't want to take too much of your time. Hope to hear from you guys. And then he heard from us. So we hit him up and we said, look, you're coming to New York City for a canceled show and you have to be here you want to take a picture with us like just come on the podcast so let's introduce him right now yo what up it's eric aka back porch renovations aka hammers on deck yo what up it's jeff aka wrist like my pretzels aka rose gold yo what up it's Deanna, aka mr serial girl aka cat burglar hey and this is a waste of time with it's the real in the parlance of Lior, yeah, yeah. who are you and what are you doing in our apartment? I follow my Snapchat now, thanks to you guys. Hey. Well, my name's uh, Dion Carlo Chen. I'm from Chicago. I was here for a Charles Hamilton show, but unfortunately got canceled. So uh, I was invited here by you guys. Was there anything crazy about your flight? Everything. I've never been on a plane. Hey! You've never been on a plane. You made it to New York City. What were your thoughts on the plane? Were you fine? Yeah, I was cool. It was a little bumpy. I thought it was cool, but the couple next to me was praying. So where's the furthest you had been before this trip? Uh, Columbus, Ohio, by car. I went to see Asher Roth. And uh, the second time, I went to see Mickey Fax. And so where was that? Rap-related... Double uh... <laughs> XL 2009 freshman. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, let's call out these friends who, who did oh, not man. make the trip. They uh, said they were going to come. Or yeah. <laughs> I mean, shouts out to uh, Matt Murder, uh, Concussion Leo. I can explain that story. Please. Hudrat Louie. Yeah. Everyone's, mean, got, a everyone's yeah. got a nickname. Do you have me. a nickname? No, I don't. Well, I used to go by Chen because it's my last name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, that got played out because I started working with my sister, who's also Chen, and we they didn't can... have two Chens. Two Chins sounds like a fat person. Or yeah. or yeah. Two Chins sounds like Two Chains, but whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> two Chins. Yeah. yeah, you should hang out with your sister just at all time. I also got a rapper friend, Dante the Demon. I went through this whole phase where I was his manager, and I got the ball rolling, but he wasn't ready to move to the next level. But uh, he has potential. That's good. So uh, shout out to him. Shout out to Dante the Demon, Johnny Hafton. Um, yeah, I'll say this. All of your friends have amazing names. Dante the Demon has the weakest name. And he's the only one that actually needs a name. Yeah. No, it's funny because he's not. He's a really sweet guy. So yeah. I was like, bro, you got to go with Dante or something else. Because Demon, no. Uh, I was actually showing my little sister. Because she was like, where are you going? And who are these guys? Yeah, well. <laughs> like, Lior. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and um, so I showed her the Lloyd Banks party. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Party. Lloyd Banks was mad at you when you guys interviewed that him. That is true. Yeah. That is true. But, but I don't What's know. What's your sister's name? Uh, Kim. Shout out to Kim. K money. Yeah, yeah. yo, Everyone everyone's got a nickname. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah but like at least you don't have Dante the Demon. Like that's a <laughs> terrible name. I don't know what the fuck he's feeding. No, yeah. but listen, I'm sure he's very talented. Just gotta get a new name. I'm very impressed by your AKA, by the way. Yeah, uh, like all of the whole crew was helping with it. Oh, and so you have like a writer's room? This one. Yeah, <laughs> but they were like, "Nah, it's just weak as hell." I'm like, "Nah," because it's like I don't know how to describe your guys' AKA. But I get it. Yeah. It's that type of comedy that I get. It. Like the office type of comedy. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. You just start driving for Lyft. Mm-hmm. How is that? Uh, it's pretty interesting. At first, it's a little awkward, you know? Because I don't know if I should talk to the ladies because I don't want them to feel like I'm hitting on them. Right. But uh, overall, pretty cool. What, what kind of hours are you working? Uh, well, I hate rush hour traffic. I worked downtown Chicago for six years, so I know what it's like. Mm-hmm. So I go around 8 p.m. to like 4 a.m., so you have the you have the the mustache in your window. Not yet. You have to do a hundred rides. Oh, How you have to. You have. I think thirty nine. Okay. So okay. Good, and counting days. on your yeah, way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you have an aux cord number one? Yes. And if you didn't, would you accept that lower that lower star because you don't have it? Man, I got Charles Hamilton on deck. Fucking <laughs> aux cord. So Charles Hamilton is one of those guys who put out. And he might have been one of the first guys to put out just a ton of material like he ran that whole summer that when we did that mixtape was that like oh nine or oh eight through yeah something like that okay do you know all of charles's music no i'm still like he says digging through the crates yeah i mean no disrespect to him but it's like i gotta dig for the diamonds for me you know i'm pretty sure everybody likes some songs i don't like but that's (laughs) with any artist well did you like charles's comeback i loved it yeah i couldn't believe it I like three out of four songs. Okay. Which is pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Wait, did you only do Lift because it's pink? <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, right? Yo, thanks so much for coming through. No problem. Anytime, guys. All right. Jeff, if people are looking for more It's The Real, where can they go? You can go on Twitter. Look for at It's The Real. You can go on Instagram at It's The Real. You can go on Snapchat at it's the real Eric and it's it's the real it's the real was taken. Damn. Um, you can also go on SoundCloud.com slash a waste of time or search for a waste of time with it's the real. Go on iTunes. Go Google on Play. Google Play. Yeah. If you have a Russian phone that looks you know <laughs> real janky and the Snapchat's all fucked Shout up, like our Boss friend Nod. Boss Nod. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, lots of different options to find us online. Today's episode involves our friend brendan frederick be fred be fred online and uh be fred we've known for a very long time since his days at complex since his days at double xl before that he was at mass appeal go listen to that mary hk Choi episode to learn more about that be fred's just a great guy he's been very influential in hip-hop internet yeah he's basically built the hip-hop internet as we know it or helped to build it yeah so let's get into this episode when do you think
right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, aka Tetanus, aka Deep in the Cut. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, aka Snakes in the Grass, aka Savage Garden. Yo, what up? It's Brendan Frederick, aka B Fred, aka BF Cutting, aka the Granite State Goon. Yeah! <laughs> this is a waste of time this is the real. For those that don't know, you are a new father. I am a new father, yes. My son, Jovan, is almost five months. We'll be five months next week. So how, what's up with that? Yeah, how has the process been? Uh, you know, it's stressful. Being a, <laughs> being a parent is a lot of work. So know? wait, you come back from the from the hospital, and now yeah. it's like, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. You know, I never spent a lot of time around babies, like, growing up or anything, so I didn't have a ton of experience with it. Do but, you hang around babies now? <laughs> uh, yes, a lot more. Like, yeah, once you have a kid, you only get invited to parties with other kids, like... You know, our friend NTB had like a, a birthday party and it was like one for the parents and one, right. for the, you know, for the single people, basically. Yeah. So. Did you read a lot of books like ahead of time? Uh, not really. No. I mean, I read a couple, you know, the, you know. How do you expect what you're expecting? Yeah, yeah, what to expect. You know, I read yeah. some chapters <laughs> yeah. and things like that. But mostly I was like, this whole thing is just going to figure itself out. I don't want like too much information. My wife was probably, you know, not psyched about that approach. <laughs> um, but, you know, a lot of it you just kind of figure out. There's definitely some things I wish I read more about, like sleep training. And sure. Like that, the sort of Did it ever cross your mind stuff. that, like, before books were created, <laughs> that there were still humans and, and they survived? That's, that's basically my attitude about the whole thing is, like, people didn't know anything. There was no – you couldn't Google this stuff. And you just – everybody figured it out. So it's like, we're, we'll be fine. You know? What is the strangest thing that you've Googled, like, in terms of your, your son? You know, I mean, all sorts of stuff, like, is this color poop normal? Like, you know, what does it mean when he wakes up screaming in the middle of the night? Like, bloody murder, you know? Oh, that's Vietnam, like, flashbacks. <laughs> and it's like, there's some things that say that's, like, night terrors. Oh, God. It's, you know, it's a lot going on in the baby's you're, head. You're you know? only five months in. <laughs> yeah, but we're at a good place now. We're that's excellent. Place. Like, it definitely, you know, three, four months definitely was a tough transition as he, you know, got a little bit more aware of his surroundings and was struggling with, like, learning how to sleep on a regular schedule, but... He's 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 a chill little guy. Now. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. You also have another new baby, which is sort of your job. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You like, like that? that? Thank you. Yeah. No, but you're More working professional at... radio people. <laughs> you're working at Genius, which a lot of people may know is Rap Genius, but sure. it, it's genius.com and then if you do like rap.genius.com, that's specific to rap, right? Uh, it could, it could be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or any genre, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pop.genius.com, yep. but I recommend just going to Genius.com, get the full experience. I mean, nice. um, yeah, do you guys know about Genius? Right? We do. I've heard of it. <laughs> I've also written for it. So, yes. <laughs> do you guys have accounts on Genius.com? We, we do. do. Actually, get regular updates that uh, our points have gone up. Nice. Well, we have yeah. a verified account, by the way, over there. Okay, there yes, you go. Yeah. Wait, so have you guys annotated your own songs? We have, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, so you guys know the yeah. thing. And, and honestly, it's cool when other people annotate. Like that's for an artist. That's a that's a cool thing. Do you ever just like go in and in, in the comments and tell them that they're totally wrong about what they're in? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know that anyone's gotten <laughs> us very wrong. Yet. <laughs> yeah, I think our lyrics are sort of like more straightforward yeah. than like you know. Unless anyone's just like these guys are very cool, and then it's like, oh, you're very wrong. Yeah, <laughs> incorrect. How much IQ do you guys have on the site? Um, I don't know. We're we're geniuses. So. <laughs> a lot. A yeah. Lot. All right. Let's start at the very beginning. You are from the Granite State. I am indeed from the Grand State of New Hampshire. Yes. Whereabouts? A little town called Brentwood, New Hampshire. It's like 2,000 people, very small country town, right next to Exeter, New Hampshire, slightly more famous. Sure. Portsmouth, <laughs> New Hampshire. It's about an hour north of Boston, basically. So okay. It sticks. So 2,000 people in your town. What's yeah. like the main business in town? There's one store in the town. It's like a general store. It's <laughs> it, very like... There's, like it a sells quaint, granite. Quaint yeah. Americana story. Yeah. Um, and that's basically it. You know, I mean, the, the next town over, like... 
20 minute drive or something has like we didn't have a post office we didn't have a bank any of these kind of gas station how close were your neighbors uh you know not not far like okay we we lived in a you know a, a street with you know you know five houses sort of next to each other across the street there was a huge field with like you know a sledding hill and like you know acres of woods behind us and we sort of like trails and you know very country this is very country like yeah, yeah northeast yes, yeah but how much granite was around you not a lot <laughs> most of the granite was more up north like where all the ski mountains are um where i'm from is really like the southern part of the state kind of close to the massachusetts border like close to the ocean uh the beach all that stuff yeah and was your family like super excited to vote every year you know, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, not, well, no, not every big, year, yeah. Years, <laughs> yeah. maybe, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, especially back then, I think people in New Hampshire took a lot of pride in the election, you know, being so early. I think Iowa came in later and kind of stole Yo, our shine a little Iowa. bit, right? Like, Iowa, like, it's not even a real election, it's like a caucus <laughs> or something, right? So that, I think, took a little bit of the wind out of the sails of the whole New Hampshire thing, but I don't think that the Iowa thing existed, and I don't remember it growing up being a thing, so I feel like it didn't, they didn't start that until maybe late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, you were only allowed to, I mean, women were allowed to start voting in 1921, <laughs> I think. And then I think New Hampshire was probably like 1997. That's right, yeah. yeah. Did presidential candidates come to your town? Uh, oh, all the time, yeah, yeah. And I definitely have a lot of memories of, you know, especially um, the school Phillips Exeter Academy where I actually went to high school was the town right next to us. And that was sort of a destination for a lot of, uh, a lot of candidates to come through. Um, you know, definitely saw like Bill Clinton speak when he crazy you know, in I don't know ninety four or something. Um, not I, I remember seeing actually in the this is my first like political memory. I remember going to see Jesse Jackson speak during the nineteen eighty eight election. The you know at one point I think he was like the Democratic front runner and came he came to speak at our local mall like you know thirty forty minutes away <laughs> or something like that. I, my parents took me. I, th- I actually still have the Jesse Jackson eighty eight buttons. Crazy. So. Um, so yeah, lots of, you know, I think I might, might have seen Ross Perot or something. Were you ever at like a diner when someone stopped by? Never that like organic, <laughs> quote unquote organic yeah, yeah, yeah. of a situation. Uh, but it was more so like just going to see somebody speak and going to like a rally or something like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you live in New Hampshire, you're constantly getting people, you know, political calls, like, uh. pollsters, people st- stopping by your house all the time. And well, at what point do you just like unplug the phone? Uh, yeah, my parents definitely, <laughs> at this point, have definitely have do that during election season. Like, they just won't even pick up the phone. They'll know who it is. Like, what do your parents do, or what did they do, or, yeah, where are um, your parents at in life? How are they? My parents are great. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Uh, they still live in New Hampshire. You know, my father works in the footwear industry. Um, he... Does he know Joe LaPuma? <laughs> uh, he does not know Joe LaPuma. He should know, know Joe LaPuma. I think he's met Joe LaPuma <laughs> times, yes. Um, but, you know, my dad is kind of like an OG in, like, the sneaker world, and they're like, like he uh, he worked for Nike back in the early '80s, kind of like in the you know very early Nike days back Whoa. when they were like developing like Nike Air and like the basic technologies and stuff like that and all of the classic shoes. Um, and he he actually worked in their early research and development team, um, which used to be in New Hampshire. Uh, that's what brought my family to New Hampshire. Was like he did like research and development for them. Um, work with them in their really early days. No, you know, used to be a close friend of Phil Knight and like all the o- Nike. OGs. That's awesome. Jesus. Do you have any like crazy Nike shoes because of your dad's connections? Yeah. So we, uh, one interesting thing is uh, I have this pair of like wooden Nike clogs, like, you know, like Dutch style wooden <laughs> clogs with like, they're like white with like a red swoosh on the side, um, which I believe were actually used in like a Nike print campaign in the, in, you know, the early eighties. Um, they're actually. I think that they were given to me as a a birthday gift for my first birthday from Phil Knight himself. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, that's probably my rarest, uh, rarest acquisition there, <laughs> but I'm, you know, working at complex, I was like not the sneakerhead, So I didn't, I didn't have a lot of like bragging rights with like my sneaker collection, but that was, you that were was the clog pretty, head. That was a pretty amazing <laughs> yeah. one. Yes. I had all the clogs. Yeah. When Nike moved out to, they sort of moved everything out to Oregon and right. there was a moment where our family almost moved to do it. And then my dad said, you know what? I'm just going to stay here and start my own business. So he started like a, uh, you know, like a footwear consultancy business where, you know, he, over the years has worked with like every brand basically. Whoa. He worked for Adidas for a long time, you know, worked so for Converse for a long you time. You have no allegiance. Uh, to brands? To brands, yeah. Not Well, not to your father, yes. Not, you know, it was yeah. funny because yeah, my dad would always be working for every like cool sneaker company and I would always not like the, the, the company that he was working for. So it would be like, he'd be working for Adidas and I'd be like, I'm really only wearing like Converse Chucks right now. Dad. Like I'm going through my like alt rock like oh, yeah. phase right now. So it never quite matched up. To you were so rebellious. I, I was a rebel. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I remember when our parents would be like, you have to watch Hoop Dreams. And because they suggested that, like regardless of whether it was like the greatest documentary of all time at that time, I was just like, no, never. I'm not going to watch that. And because you suggested it, like, no. And like Lawrence of Arabia and like things yeah. like that. That's how I feel like And it, it was. ruined our relationship with our parents. <laughs> Did you watch Hoop Dreams? Eventually. And like once I grew up and it's understood that like yeah. parents know what they're talking about. So like that's what you can look forward to with your son. Like I still haven't seen Hoop Dreams, by the way. Really? I know. It's on Netflix. Okay. It's on my list of things to see. It's on my queue. You haven't seen a lot of really big movies. I know. <laughs> it's like really bad. So you, you lived in a, a town of... 2,000 people. Yeah. Do you have any siblings, by the way? I have an older brother, yeah. He's uh, how five, much? five years older than me. But how, how big was your high school graduating class? Um, well, you know, I went to I went to Phillips Exeter. Oh, right. And so, we, you know, it was, a, it was a fairly big school, but it was still only like a... Oh God, I'm, I'm probably going to get this totally wrong, but I think it was like a couple hundred people in the graduating class. Oh, wow. Maybe it's a... You know, I'm probably wrong. It could be a couple thousand. Don't even remember. It was like a, you know, not a huge school. Yeah. You know, but, you know, it was a very like, it was like a prep school, private prep school, very like college style campus with dorms and, you know, uh, but meanwhile, you know, dining you're, halls. And you're from like the that. town over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I, was a, I was a commuting student, like a day student, they called it. Um, so, you know, I kind of had the best of both worlds. I got to live at home with my parents, had a car. But then still got to like hang out and kind of have that sort of campus life with all my friends that lived in dorms. And yeah. you weren't hazed. It's <laughs> not hazed. No, there was a lot of hazing at Phillips Exeter. Really? No, it was like pretty like it was like everybody was kind of a nerd, so it was like you know there's yeah, not but that like, hierarchy that there is sort of at a normal school. Where there's yeah, like but every once in a while you get like a George W. Bush who comes in there with like an oar to like paddle people. <laughs> I mean, you know, I wasn't hazed. Maybe there was hazed. You know? I mean, Mark Zuckerberg also went there like a couple years after me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure his experience was totally different. Right. I right. don't know. I bet he had a lot of friends. <laughs> you went to public elementary school. Yeah, I went to public elementary school, public middle school, and then ninth, ninth grade through 12th grade went to Phillips Exeter. Yeah. Did you know anyone else going to Phillips Exeter? Um, when you got there, a, a couple of people, yeah, a couple of my friends from the public school also went with me, um, which you know definitely helped a lot. But it was it was mostly it was a very strange experience, just suddenly being thrown in with kids from all over the country, all over the world, yeah. you know. Because um, yeah, the most majority of the people were not from around there, and you know, New Hampshire otherwise is a pretty you know self-contained place <laughs> where people don't. You know, when people leave, grow up and leave New Hampshire, they might go to Boston. That's like as far as they go. Whereas all the kids that I was dealing with now were from New York and from Hong yeah. Kong and yeah. all over the place, you know. What are these people bringing from their backgrounds into, like, that you weren't previously exposed to? Like, are they the ones who bring in hip-hop? Because, like, how does hip-hop enter the conversation for you? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, hip hop was definitely not cool in New Hampshire in the early '90s, like at all. Like it was very like Nirvana, alt rock, punk rock era. Converse Chucks, Converse sort of Chucks, music. Yeah, which I was into too. Like I was into bands and all that stuff. But I was also over. Oh, right. You were in a band. I was in. I was in multiple bands. Yeah, yes. named. One of them was named Arkanoid, which was named after a, a famous video game sure. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, also, today, if you were to do that, your SEO would be just terrible. I so. know. Was, <laughs> SEO was not a thing back then. But, um, but you know, no, no, no bands that were, like, super serious. It was more just, like, you know, us practicing and some. Oh, no. Eric just wanted to make fun of the names. <laughs> <laughs> no, what'd you play? Uh, I played guitar and sang in some of them. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of sound? Um, it was a lot of like it was kind of like punk sort of little ska music, yeah. and, you know ska music was a thing back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know it, I was also always very into rap. Like at the same time, like you know I think I was like to to tell this fun fact that the the first two I I had a bunch of cassettes like I had the Hammer cassette and like sure you know, bu- uh, you know the cocktail soundtrack like, right. a bunch of cassettes. <laughs> first CDs that I bought in 1991. I was maybe like 10 years old. I went to I went to the mall and got two CDs. This is when CDs first came out. Were the Aladdin soundtrack? Talking about this the other day. Great soundtrack. Great soundtrack. And the Low End Theory. Whoa. Great album. Yeah. Which I, you know I only knew about because my friend's older sister had the cassette, and I was like, I love Scenario. I know all the <laughs> words to it. This is amazing. Um, but but yeah, so I was always kind of into it. But you know, it wasn't until like ninth grade, high school that I started getting really into it. Um, you know. And, you know, it was definitely some of my friends. I'd say one guy that I, I really credit with kind of inspiring me to get into rap is is uh, my old friend Static Selecta, who I actually went to middle school with. Whoa. Wait, no what? Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Static went, we went to middle school together. Um, and w- I wasn't really friends with him in middle school. He was like the weird kid who was really into rap music. <laughs> and like, for real, like the like one of like a few kids in the whole school that were in, was into rap music, right? And was definitely known as that and he was a DJ even back then. Whoa. DJ Static of course was like his original name. But, you know, that was like not cool at the time. Like, you know, it was sort of starting to be cool to like like Dr. Dre and maybe like Bone Thugs, sure. and Tang a little bit in those those days, but like he was definitely like a pioneer on that in New Hampshire and you know, I think he a lot of it was also like, you know, his dad maybe lived in Massachusetts and like around Boston like Lawrence or somewhere like that. So he spent a lot of time down there. His mom lived in New Hampshire, so he he kind of like brought a lot of the more City vibes, sure. Up, up there, um, a lot but, of made men and <laughs> maybe, maybe not made men. I don't know. You know, and I actually got to know him more so in like ninth grade because uh, he had a um, he had a radio show at uh, my at Phillips Exeter. Phillips Exeter had like a, a really nice radio station, like a sort of college, you know, radio level type of thing. And he had a hip hop show, and I was also starting a hip hop show like at the same time. Um, so we kind of got to know each other through that, and he, you know, he really exposed me to like. A lot of the like underground stuff, like you that's know, awesome. Like Fondulum Records, yeah. And, like, you know, a lot of the raucous stuff back in back, crazy backpacker days. So, um, you know, Static was definitely you know kind of an inspiration, of, and to see him today, what he's become, and like the fact that he's like really the same dude that he was back then, <laughs> same and, like, voice, into the same <laughs> stuff that he was back then. Like I'm, I've like totally sold out like multiple times. But, like, I got really into like down south rap, and like yep. Static is still like. You've you know, given up on Scott. Into, like, real, like, real boom bap stuff. He's, like, now friends with all these guys that we used to, like, idolize growing up, DJ Premier and it's stuff crazy. like that. So it's, like, I got tons of respect for that guy. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there, I had a couple of friends like that, uh, aside, who didn't become famous DJs, who also, like, were <laughs> super into rap that really inspired me to get into the radio show thing that we did and DJing parties and things like that. Um, when did the internet come into your life? Internet came into my life, I would say... 
you know, my family was definitely early adopter in general. Like, you know, my dad always, you know, we were like always like a Mac family, Apple family before Apple was cool. Yep. Like I used to go to Mac world like every year with my dad, Whoa. Um, which was super fun. And, uh, and so we always had computers around the house and then we got internet early, like CompuServe, like um. dial up vibes. You know what <laughs> I mean? So definitely I was in it early, you know, I'd say like first, you know, real like modern music internet experience I would say I had was probably in the late 90s when I was like on the OK Player message boards um, and that was at the time and you know it's I guess still a, a very active community um, you know I, I guess back then it, it was famous because like you know Quali was on it and yep. like I think like Fonte was on it and like you know a bunch of people that went on to become like a big deal um, you know who randomly was was on there Mike Posner and that's where he first like met someone who introduced him to whatever the free version of Fruity Loops was, right? Like F- <laughs> FT like Light or something FL like that, Studio. yeah. Or FL yeah, Studio, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh, you know, OK Player, like that was you know the first place where I got to really because being in New Hampshire, there's not a lot a lot of people to talk to about rap music and other or, types of music, so, like, or a lot of people to talk to in general. It, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like that was one of the first places where I could like really nerd out about music with people and uh, understood the power of the internet. You know yeah. What I mean? Yeah, so Man. Um, yeah, and that's and that's incidentally also kind of how I got into like writing and stuff like that was I met um, I met uh, you guys know Dove sure yeah, yeah. yeah Dove she's an OG yes uh, she is she she was also heavy on OK Player and um, you know we had just kind of like become kind of friends on there or whatever and I I did like a mixtape series that I would send to my friends with just like all the all the new shit right this was like very like Napster era. Um, and I, with it, I would include like this long sort of, uh, you know, sort of description of each song basically with like all the backstory on it, Whoa. mostly to send to my friends who weren't really in the know of what was happening. Right. Um, and I, one time just sent it to her and she's like, Oh, you, you can actually kind of write, like I'm working with this, you know, kind of indie magazine on the West coast called, called rhyme magazine. And, uh, would you be interested in writing for it? And I was like, you know, and I was like, yes, let's do it. And I, basically, they gave me like a column where I could write about mixtapes every every issue. And, you know, that was really the first time I'd ever written and gotten paid for it. And like so, late like, high school, early college. This was in college. Yeah. This was like, I don't know, maybe sophomore year in college or something like that. Maybe like 2000, 2001, something like that. I went to college at uh, Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon, Mellon in right. Pittsburgh. Yeah. So oh, Mellons. Yeah. <laughs> what was your... Tartans is what it was called. Tartans? Which is really lame because it's like a fabric. It's not yeah. like a mascot. Yeah. So. It, is there a big like a big Scottish sports, community big, in um, Pittsburgh? I'm not sure. I think it has something to do with the the Andrew Carnegie like, uh, thing. Maybe he was Scottish. I think he's Scottish. I, you know. Yeah. I want to guess that they probably were early on high speed internet there, right? Yeah. I mean, it was you know very big like computer science robotics school. So um, so you weren't using dial up to get to Napster and whatever no, else. No, no, no. By that point, yeah, yeah. By that point, it was you know super in the like. Audio Galaxy, LimeWire, LimeWire, like yeah, classic. Yeah, <laughs> just those days. It was so easy to get everything. And, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys ever use Audio Galaxy? I feel like that was the best one back in the day. No, now, now I, I use like, the most obscure stuff. Now I use Zippy Share. <laughs> Shout out to Zippy Share. Zippy Share still exists. Uh, yeah, Zippy Share is like huge right now. It's like a real shell game with those <laughs> download sites. I'm like never sure which ones still work or not. Yeah, you know? yeah. I want to know who owns LimeWire now. Probably somebody the label. Somebody. Probably Google or something. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like. No, I bet it's like some guy named like Jerry who just like bought it for like $5. Who was the artist who you first came across through like the internet that you were like, oh, I know this way before everyone else? Ooh, that's, t- that's, a, that's a tough one. I mean. Like, do you lay claim to anybody who you sort of like put on for all your friends? Yeah. What artist did you break? Yeah. <laughs> I don't Kanye know. West. 
I don't know if, I mean, yeah, it's, but it's, it was kind of like, you know, there was somebody buzzing, everybody kind of was talking to, like, you know, Kanye, 2002, 2003. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this guy's <laughs> gonna be next. He produced the This Can't Be Life beat yeah. for, for Jay-Z. He's amazing. And My first MP3 ever downloaded, Steppenwolf, Magic Carpet Ride. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I know that. Good track. Yeah, that was on Scour.net. Does anybody remember <laughs> Scour.net? By the way, it's funny because Aladdin soundtrack and then Magic Carpet Ride. Oh, but Steppenwolf wasn't, Whoa. yeah. I'm really glad that we got to get both of those out on this podcast. <laughs> so you went to Carnegie Mellon because you wanted to study computer science? No, or? no, actually, uh, I went to Carnegie Mellon because it was one of the only schools I got into. Really? But it's gave, such a good school. Me, it is a great school. And they yeah. gave me, you know, they gave me a, like a scholarship. So. Did you apply early or something? Or? Um, no, so I, I actually, I had no idea what I was doing with, with college really I, pl- I actually think I think I applied early to Duke which in retrospect is like why would I want to go to Duke that seems like a weird move um, I think it was because I really liked the basketball team when I was sure, a little kid you know sure I mean? um, like you know Bobby great Hurley, marketing on their part Grand Hill days but um, Carnegie Mellon ultimately you know my high school is very competitive like there's like 30 kids that end up going to Harvard, you know what I mean? So it's like... Fucking Mark Zuckerberg. I would have been like like super smart kid if I'd gone to like, you know, public school or like a different school. But because I was there, I was like an average student compared to everybody else. (laughs) Sure, sure. um, And also I wasn't into like... I was into like DJing and skateboarding and stuff like that. And I was not into like building my extracurricular resume. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I wasn't... Didn't take it that seriously what? i went to carnegie mellon actually and ended up studying i didn't know what i was going to study at the time i thought i wanted to be in the music business like i thought oh i want to be an a and r you know what i mean which yeah. is like didn't everybody want to be an a and r sure at some point? Like, yeah you're like i know how to fix this rapper's career <laughs> like if they just released this single instead they would have blown up you right know? um so then i had no idea what i wanted to do you know i knew i liked writing um i knew that in high school like i you know had written short stories and stuff like that and then I took a, a creative writing course. Um, I actually thought I wanted to major in business or econ or something like that. I took an economics course and I was like, this is the hardest thing ever. I hate math. Yeah. It's terrible. But then I ended up taking a creative writing course and loving it and getting really into creative writing. So I studied basically fiction writing and screenwriting when I was in college, um, which, you know, ultimately didn't, didn't end up using. But, you know, in creative writing class, you do a lot of workshops uh, where you basically just like, tear down other writers and tell them why they're <laughs> terrible which is a lot of fun yo which is- i was so good at that in my <laughs> yeah. creative writing classes oh, I, like, you, you, you yeah. Right. yeah i didn't like hold back at all and everybody hated me <laughs> it's just like this is so obvious man you have no like plot point in your scripts <laughs> here but you know i think that got me really confident with like skills that i would later use as an editor oh uh, yeah so exactly generally like getting me confident with my voice as a writer and as an editor like it definitely sort of primed me for that even though i didn't directly I could still write a screenplay. You know, it could still happen. <laughs> did you do any internships in college? I did do an internship in college, yes. For, so beginning of college, I was like, worked shit jobs. was like a valet, which actually paid very well. Whoa. Um, but Could you drive stick? Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course, man. Come on. <laughs> if you can't drive stick, you basically can't drive. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so my uh, my... My summer after my junior year in college, before senior year, I, I moved to New York and interned at Mass Appeal magazine, which was actually my first real, first re, you know, I had done some little kind of writing here and there in college, but this was my first real, like, experience New York media world. Um, you know, tried to get in the door at bigger magazines, of course, and got no response, right. no experience, didn't know anybody. <laughs> they were a bunch York, of Dukes, barely. and this was your, you know, yeah, Carnegie, yeah. Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> exactly. So I also loved Mass Appeal. Like, it was, you know, super cool, like, independent magazine. Um, Did you subscribe to it or, like, see it on newsstands? I would see it on newsstands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. see it at, like, the cool, like, indie record store type, type places. Um, 
so yeah, they were very responsive and you know moved moved to New York and and immediately met people that have become lifelong friends and sort of mentors. Yeah, and, you know, uh, when when I first moved there, I was working for like Mary Choi, who was who's on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, working. F- for Noah and yeah. NCB um, and you know a ton of other people that I ended up later working with at Complex Jack Irwin you know Justin Monroe like uh, I didn't know they were at Mass Appeal yeah totally yeah so you know a lot of a lot of great people got their start at Mass Appeal so what was your internship like there um, it was it was cool like it was you know it was it was doing a lot of grunt work like carrying boxes of magazines basic <laughs> basic you know annoying stuff but also <laughs> I had the opportunity to write a lot of stuff too which was exciting like first day they were like we need to finish this album reviews page. Go listen to this Defari record and write a review. <laughs> and I was like, great. Like, this is my dream. This is all I ever wanted to do. You know? um, and it was also an interesting time because it was like, you know, Noah was like kind of just transitioning to a job at Vibe right at the time. He was like, leave. he left, I think, like a month after I got there to, you know, he was still stayed on kind of as the editorial director, but he, uh, you know, he, he was just leaving. So he kind of let me help him out with a lot of stuff and vibe like very early on too which was amazing experience like he would be like uh i gotta finish this article on state property for uh vibe by tonight i don't have time to do this interview beanie siegel's gonna call his phone in like five minutes can you just ask him these five questions and i was like yes <laughs> amazing you know it was you know magazine boot camp is what we always call mass appeal because it was like learning how to do absolutely everything and there was moments where i was doing you know like getting getting coffees for people and stuff like that but it was mostly like doing the actual work like helping them edit the pages helping them write stuff um you know what if anything do you miss about print is, is, is print dead or something yeah. <laughs> that's the rumor people say that it's I mean, dead it's it's uh you know having something you can hold in your hand it feels like a real accomplishment and there's definitely an art to it of the flow of, of a magazine, the front of the book, the feature well, you know, the back of the book. Like there's really an art to it that's kind of a lost art now. Writing magazine headlines is a different art than writing online headlines, you know what I mean? So like there's a lot of cool nuance to it that I really I miss. And I know how to do really well, but I have no sort of outlet for those that skill set that I developed. Right. You know? Where was Mass Appeal based, by the way? So when I first started, Mass Appeal was based in Red Hook, which, you know, I listened to the, the Mary podcast. Yeah, she told yep. great stories about trudging through Red Hook, <laughs> getting catching buses. Definitely, you know, no subways in Red Hook. So well, because was... you're, yeah, you're coming here from New Hampshire, from Pittsburgh. Yeah. What was your New York City experience like that summer? Um, that summer I was living, I was subletting an apartment in Greenpoint and then taking the G train down to, to Red Hook and yeah. trudging out there. And it was great. Very hot. People sweaty. love the G train because it's so reliable. And <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Yeah. I think it gets a little bit of a bad rap. It's a little bit of a hype, the whole G train, anti G train thing. But, um, but you know, that was actually the summer of the, uh, the blackout in the oh, city, oh, which, oh. Was, which is interesting time to be here. Were you guys here then? Uh, the summer of we were yeah, up in so, Westchester. Yeah. That was like what 2003. You guys, yeah. you guys had blackout too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, the was, entire East Coast did. <laughs> yeah, that was super cool. I mean, you know, I didn't have the whole experience of like wandering around the city and everybody partying in the streets, but like my whole apartment building went up to the roof and like had a big party. Oh and, man! And uh, so that was super cool. But um, I just, I you know, remember that whole summer being very hot and sweaty and like no air conditioning and yeah, um, lots of lots of hard work. But it, you know, it was great. But you know, the the great thing was I was actually only an intern technically for a month. Because after a month, you know, Noah left to, to go to Vibe, and 
I think there was a little bit of a, you know, a, a need for sort of more. Yeah, power uh, vacuum. <laughs> power, definitely a power, power vacuum. That's basically like story of my life. And you ended up as the editor in chief. So, well, I, you know, they actually, after a month, promoted me to like associate editor. Because um, they're like, oh, you're actually doing real work. Like, we're going to give you like a real title. You're still, you may, maybe we'll give you like a couple hundred dollars or something. Like, basically nothing. But that was amazing. Because I was like, oh, my God, I have a title. Like, <laughs> doing real work. Um and I sort of retained that title. I ended up, I had to go back to school for my senior year, but I still like kept in touch with the Massapequa people would still come to New York during like spring break and during my vacations to help them close and edit the magazine. Could you do anything remotely from Pittsburgh? Um, I did a lot of writing. Um, so yeah, when I was back at school for my senior year, I did a lot of writing for Mass Appeal. I was also doing, starting to do some writing for Vibe, for Noah um, and like uh, BMI, Ben Meadows Ingram at the time who was there. Um, so the, you know, those were my first early clips in like in in like you know a big magazine like Vibe. That was yeah. like a big deal. You know what I mean? So, totally. Did you give a shit about uh, your senior year? Because uh, like you already yeah. have this sort of thing that's like happening in New York. Yeah, yeah. not really. <laughs> like you know, I I I kept it together, and you know, I had I had gotten it together to the point where like I had gotten most of my credits out of the way, so I got to take some kind of bullshit classes. My you know, I still had to do like my thesis where I like wrote a screenplay and like take some some creative writing classes but like I didn't have to do the annoying classes so I, I ended up taking like Shaolin Temple Boxing as like one Ooh. of my credits or something how'd you do oh it's terrible it was so hard it was more I took it because I thought it was gonna be easy and fun you thought and it was like, gonna be Wu-Tang yeah, I thought what it was is gonna, it like, this is Wu-Tang shit but no, no it was like really hard you're like memorize this like choreography basically it Man. was like not what I thought it would be at all it was it was probably the hardest class I took the entire time it was in Carnegie Mellon yeah do you move back home first and then down to New York? No, I, I think I moved directly to New York. Um, and, you know, I think my brother was living here at the time. And I stayed with him for like a week while I found an apartment. Um, and, uh, yeah, after senior year. So, and I, yeah, yeah, so first apartment after college ended up living in like a like an attic apartment in Bed-Stuy, basically, <laughs> paying like, you know, like $400 a month or something. <laughs> now like, it's $6,000. Yeah, probably, yeah. Did you have a job right away? Yes. Oh, so that that's the other part of it is, you know, power vacuum, big thing. <laughs> so, you know, uh, while I was I was back at school for senior year, uh, Justin Monroe had taken over as the, the editor-in-chief of, of Mass Appeals, kind of, kind of after Noah. And I think, I think Mary maybe had also left during that time to go work at XXL. Um, so it was, you know, kind of a power vacuum and Justin was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go write for, you know, double XL and other places, be a freelancer. Um, so they were like, who's next to be going to run this magazine? They're like, Brendan. And I was like, so yeah, but literally went from being the intern to being the editor in chief in a year. Right. Which was like crazy. You know, if you knew there was no really any glamour to being the editor in chief of Mass Appeal at the time. So it didn't, you know, mean that much, but amazing experience in that, like, you know, me and a couple other people who were on my team, like Toshi was one of my editors at the time on my team and like had to just figure the whole thing out. And, you know, I mean, we still had all the whole kind of alumni network of mass appeal people. Like Noah was still an editorial director. Sasha Jenkins, of course, was editorial director. So like we still had a ton of guidance from kind of, you know, really experienced guys at the time, but it was a lot of times we were kind of left to our own devices and we're just like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, staying up all night, trying to close the issue of the magazine, you know? What was your greatest cover at mass appeal? Um, let's see, I'd say there's probably two that kind of stand out. Like, um, we got, you know, uh, Ghostface and MF Doom on the cover together. That's one that a lot of people really liked at the time. I guess they never did do an album together, even though they were supposed to. <laughs> um, but that was great. You know, I also really loved the, the clips cover that we did, um, which was like the, the no business like snow business cover. Mm -hmm. 
um, that was cool. And, you know, I ended up getting to work with those guys and with Pusha several other times. That was kind of the first time I met I met them, and they're just super cool, and that was a, a great experience. Yeah. And that was around, like, the time of, like, Lord Willing, or? Well, you know what? I think that that was in that weird, like, label limbo time. When there mm-hmm. was, like, several years between Lord Willing and... Uh, Hell Hath No Fury, Fury. yeah. Because I actually ended up doing a, another cover story <laughs> for them around Hell Hath No Fury, but that was, like... But that was for Complex or for Maspiel? I did a Complex cover story, and then I also did their... I actually, I actually gave Hell Hath No Fury a XXL rating in XXL, like a classic rating. Yeah. Which was like very controversial. Um, but I think that this was even a year before that, so like th- there was a long period between <laughs> that album. But it was definitely in the lead up to uh, to Hell Hath No Fury. I sure. love the mixtapes that they put out in that period. You know what? By the That's way. Yeah. It was the mixtapes because uh, that was what the whole like they were wearing T-shirts that said "There's no business like snow business." <laughs> yeah, and that whole thing was basically just a concept inspired by the slogan T thing. Like I think in. One, oh, in the Drop It Like It's Hot music video, Pusha is wearing the shirt that says, I got it for cheap. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah like, yeah. Block Letters, I got it for cheap, which is the name of their mixtape. Yeah. So, and, like, slogan tees like that were kind of a thing at the time. So I was like, oh, let's just come up with, like, a crazy slogan <laughs> tee for them to have, you know. And then we got, like, a snow machine, like, to so the good. house. And, yeah, so that was that was a fun cover. Shout That's out awesome. to Shane Nash, who shot that. Great photographer. So, wait, so how do you end up going to XXL? Mary was working there at the time. Uh, I was definitely trying i think i had started writing for them um at the time like you know for leah rose who was uh, mm-hmm. the associate music editor at the time bought for bonsu who was the music editor at the time um doing like record reviews mostly so i kind of got my foot in the door a little bit but i was still like you know rookie like b team like elliot had no idea who i was right <laughs> he was just like yeah, what was your songwriter um but you know the reason i think elliot figured out who i was and ultimately what how i got that job was People at XXL started knowing me as the kid who could find the random song on the internet that nobody else could find. Shouts to Zippy Share. Yeah, basically Zippy Share yeah. vibes. You know, I forget what it was at the time. Um, but yeah, they would be like, we're closing this story. We have to fact check this line for this random old song or this random version of the song. We can't find it. And Leo would be like, let me let me call Brendan. He'll be able to find and it. And Brendan would pick up and go, okay. And then type in wikipedia.com. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, I would always find the stuff for them, and I think as a result, Elliot knew me as, like, oh, that kid who knows about the internet, like, we're doing something with the internet, we should, like, hire him, you know yeah. what I mean? So, but the yeah. thing is that you actually did know about the internet, because you're the one who built the internet team of bloggers, right? At XXL. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So, you know, they, I was hired because at the time, they were trying to uh, figure out what do we do with the internet? This is a thing, this is like, you know, 05, they're like, what are we going to do? Like, internet... <laughs> Uh, nobody wanted to work on the internet, so they're like, let's just hire somebody to be like the online person to like figure it out, right? <laughs> so they hired me to be like their first online editor. I forget what my actual title was, but I was the only one on staff actually working <laughs> on the website, um, which you know was annoying because it was not really a priority in the company, but it was also great because they gave me very much free reign to do whatever. Um, and Did you buy the domain name? No, no, no. They had the domain name. Just at the time, it was basically like a. It was just like an ad for the magazine before I came on. It was just like right. here's the new, here's the cover. <laughs> Go buy us on newsstands or something. Right? But you weren't the one that decided on XXLMag.com instead of XXL. No, which they, I they assume XXL is like a porn site. Probably. <laughs> pro- I, yeah, I should know that, but it probably was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but yeah, I mean, and you know, to Elliot's credit, like he was er, even early days was very enthusiastic about learning about the internet. Like was very transparent about the fact that he knew nothing about the internet but was very like what is this all about like teach me how to like do html and like you know how do i find this thing and like he was very in the weeds on it but um but yeah they gave me free reign to do whatever and you know this was definitely like the not right era the 
you know, it was definitely post the kind of like all hip hop SOHH kind of like mega site era and right. into the more independent blog era. Right. And that was like right in the thick of it. I think I got hired in, I want to say like January 2005 or no, 2006, January 2006, I believe is when it was. And, um, and yeah, they, my whole plan was basically like bring that kind of like, you know, place where you can find all the new music aesthetic of like a not right or a non smash. Those guys that were killing it at the time, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, bring that and sort of add this sort of blogging, like personality element to the mix as well. Like those were kind of the two, the two strategies that I came on with. And, you know, it was, it, I, it was pretty successful for the time. I think sort of like it, it didn't last for very long, but like at the time it was like, Oh, it was like an actual major brand is doing the like internet thing that everybody else is like already doing on the independent tip. For know? us, it was everything. It was appointment viewing, you know, it yeah. was, you need to go and, and read Right when Byron's you oh, know yeah. piece went up, or or hopefully, Nas or, yeah. or hopefully DJ Drama is going to do one one time, you know, <laughs> yeah. like or Sycamore, whoever. It yeah, was yeah. like you know you had to be there. Yeah, and you know I I have to you know that was always kind of my strategy, but I also have to credit a lot of that to to Chris X, who at the time was kind of like kind of like my Svengali with that whole <laughs> that whole sort of crowd. It's like I didn't know a lot of these bloggers, like I didn't know Byron Crawford. Um, I mean, I mean nobody I knows him. Yeah. I knew who he was, but I had like yeah. no way to contact him. He didn't know who I was. Um, but you know, Chris knew all these guys through just you know him being this behind the scenes like Wizard of Oz figure that right. he is. Um, and you know, he hooked me up with those guys. He definitely recommended a lot of people to me, and you know, kind of gave me credibility with a lot of those guys at the time. So. Um, he was very instrumental to that happening. But yeah, we got, you know, Byron was like a crazy experience of just like, <laughs> is this guy a real person? There was a lot of rumors about him. Everybody thought he was like a, he was white at the time. Like nobody had <laughs> oh, seen, he's, he's nobody, nice. Nobody had seen a picture of him, you know, like there was a lot of hilarious rumors about him, um, which was cool. Like, you know, he, you know, for all the like crazy shit that he says and like his whole persona, like every time I ever spoke with him on the phone, he was like the nicest person <laughs> ever, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we got a lot of great voices, like, you know, some industry people. That was, that was the idea was like some industry people, some sort of bloggers that are more sort of personality people like on the independent tip. And um, and uh, and yeah, and I was actually I was also lucky enough to to get uh, to be able to hire SK from Not Right to to help me on the site as well, sort of in the early days. Yeah. Too, so we were talking with Nas about this um, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, whatever happened to Tara Henley? Great question. I, yo, somebody asked me that like once a year. I have no idea. She, she's she's Canadian, so she's probably living in Canada. Like, but you think, it's like a Canadian Renaissance right now. You think that Tara Henley would be back? But she, yeah, she had a you know she had a blog that was kind of popping at the time. That's why we hired her uh, on the site, and then she just sort of petered out. And I'm not sure what happened to her, but I'd love to find out. I mean, and when, if you're Tara Henley, please leave a comment on <laughs> iTunes. Where are you at? Yeah. At what point did you transition to Scratch Magazine? So yeah, I was there for I want to say maybe six, eight months or something doing the the website thing, and it had it you know got a lot of momentum, was in a good place, um, and then they were at a point where I, I think they weren't making a lot of money off of Scratch, and they were you know they were thinking about closing it, and they were like Elliot, we're just gonna give you a shot because before that it wasn't really under Elliot's purview at all, it was just kind of like a separate magazine at hmm. Harris. Um, they were like Elliot, we're gonna give you another a, a one last chance to kind of save Scratch magazine, see if you can do it plan was kind of like let's relaunch it as double xl presents scratch yep um and ellie was like i'm down to do this definitely down i've and he was like i don't have time to do it myself <laughs> but i will like be editorial director and i will hire an editor-in-chief to oversee it by that point we you know we become very close and like you know i definitely 
considered him one of my mentors and like he he gave me the chance to to be the editor in chief of scratch which was amazing right i mean um at that point i was maybe 25 years old like second magazine i've been the editor in chief of I <laughs> pretty ridiculous right so amazing and that was even again more of a dream because it was like oh my god like the the dj producer like behind the scenes thing like that is that is always been the thing that i'm super into is like talking about the guy behind the guy and the producers and all that stuff so you know that was that was dream come true and you know I, we we relaunched the magazine you know our strategy was you know to try to open it up a little bit more to put rappers on the cover which was a controversial move before that there had only been like producers really on right. the cover um but our sort of strategy was like let's make this more a magazine about like the creative process of hip-hop whereas double xl interviews it's like all about beef it's all about like the label politics let's actually have a magazine that's really about the music you know mm-hmm. um and you know, I thought that was a great concept that a lot, you know, some people really loved, but ultimately didn't have like a huge, uh, huge audience. And uh, you know, ultimately, it, it, Harris Publications, their whole business model was based on newsstand sales, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you—that's why you know you would have Fifty Cent on the cover twelve times in a row because he would sell on the newsstand <laughs> if it ain't broke, you know? What I mean? Right. <laughs> Whereas you know, we did we did some great covers. You know, we had like Lil Wayne and DJ Khaled on the cover together uh, back with Khaled's first album. You know, like we had. I think my first issue at Scratch, we had Will I Am, Nas, and The Game together on the cover, sort of a random pairing. You know? I mean, what a weird year. <laughs> <laughs> weird time in music, like yeah. 2006. Really weird. But um, What did you try to get done there that you couldn't? I'm sure there were some good covers that we tried to do that we got turned down on. I'm like totally blanking on what they are. <laughs> but um, we, you know, we had pretty good success. I think at the time, XXL had a lot of clout. So leveraging that relationship, you know, we got, you know, Timberland and 50 Cent on the cover together. We got, um, we had a Jeezy cover, you know, Wyclef and T.I. Remember when they made records together? That was um, weird. I don't remember <laughs> that. Why uh, do you remember T. I. that? T.I.P. There was Wyclef songs on that. Wow. Well. Gotcha. Weird, weird time. Yeah. But they did a cover together. So sort of weird pairings, but, <laughs> um, you know, and I think generally we revamped the magazine, did a great job, uh, with it. Um, and you know that was also the first time I got to work with Rob Markman, who I'm I'm now reunited with, at uh, Genius, and he you know he he was just a freelance writer at the time, and I got to actually give him his first editorial job, which was amazing, and he was like great team member, so like uh, it's been a joy to reunite with Rob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do want to talk more about uh, Rob and Genius and everything, but like when you were at Scratch, like how much did you even know about the mechanics of making a song, great. like yeah. like NPCs and. You know, I knew a little bit, not a lot, like, because, you know, I was sort of an amateur beat maker back in my, like, DJ days in, like, high school. Um, You know, I knew about DJing a little bit. You know, I could... You knew Static Select, and that's all it's Static Select, basically, that's that's all I knew. But, uh, you know, I had an NPC, like, I knew a little bit, but by no means was I, like, a technically savvy, like, producer at all. Um, We had a, you know, a position on the the staff called the the tech editor, I think that's what it was called, and that was supposed to be like, you review all the gear, you like, re- you know, you're my gut check for like, is this the right keyboard that we're referring to here? Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy I hired for that is Paul Cantor. Right. Who, you know, is a, a you know, very accomplished producer. Absolutely. Um, and, and yeah, he was, he was great. So he, you know, he was sort of my liaison to the, <laughs> the technical aspects of, of beat making, which, you know, I know a little bit about, but not a, not a ton. See, I I don't know anything about beat making. Nothing. I mean, I I I, I know things, but like I I can point at things, but I'm not like. It's easier than ever, guys. Like that's software, right. Software just like 
you know, drag some things around, drop them here and there. Go to OK Player and find like a copy of Fruity Loops. Whatever. No, you just yeah. go on YouTube and you say <laughs> Chief Keef type beat and then you steal that. True. <laughs> yeah. Sound click. How did you split your time between the Double XL online stuff and Scratch Magazine? Sure. So at that time, um, you know, I, th- I think actually the reason why I we hired SK was because we knew that I was going to be transitioning to Scratch and we needed somebody. I think it might have been a little before that, but but basically it was like SK was basically running the show on double XL at that point I was you know helping him out here and there but I was I was really fully focused on scratch at least for those you know we did I think six issues so for that year basically um, I was I was fully focused and then uh, sadly they decided to fold the magazine when I was there um, and then I you know Elliot was like you know just come back and work on the website and do writing for us again basically so so yeah he was they were lucky enough to make another job for me even though i, I was you know I'd did you have of, your same desk uh i think i stayed at this no I, I think i moved to a new desk at that point okay yeah, yeah, yeah. so then after scratch closed i was i stayed at double xl worked on the website again for maybe three four months um until until elliot left until elliot was fired yes as everyone knows yes very you know dramatic moment <laughs> yeah um and then was you know thrust into the world of online media which before before we get to that yeah, yeah. did you ever deal with anyone at cat fancy or any of like the random magazines that uh, sort of like yeah, yeah. sat by the door dog, dog news <laughs> i think sat in the cubicle next to the, the scratch sort of cubicle um they were very nice and like when there was like the the westminster dog show every you know the whole a lot of excitement be, around yeah, that yeah, desk the would be really excited um yeah, but, you know, that was what was cool about Harris at the time. It was like, we were all kind of in this bullpen together, and, like, you know, the King guys were over there, and the XXL folks were over there, and then there was, like, hair magazines, <laughs> and, like, dog magazines, and... Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it's really, a really cool place to be. It's really funny how... We, we would go to the XXL offices, oh, yeah. and, and actually, the Vibe offices on, on Madison Avenue, uh, much in the same way... There wasn't a lot of like care put into um, how everything looked. Oh, definitely not. It was. No. <laughs> yes. I think all any and all money was put into like talent and hopefully the pages. You know, no, keeping the print alive. Are you kidding? <laughs> it was not easy keeping the print alive. No. Yeah, I mean, definitely at, at Harris there was like a two month period where they had ripped up the carpets to like redo the floors and there was like the sticky gum on them and they just didn't replace them for like months and it, yeah yeah so. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a great place to work at the time. And, like, the opportunity that they gave me was just amazing. Double like, XL also had the, like, bulletproof glass around the uh, reception area. I don't think it was bulletproof. <laughs> there was some glass. I don't know. I tried shooting it and <laughs> bullets bounced back. You, know, you never know when Benzino is going to roll That's up. That's right. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I got there, like, after the that whole drama had subsided. Yeah. But, you know, of course, I think. So, I mean, you were cool with them anyway because of your time uh, outside Boston. <laughs> After Double XL, you went over to Complex. Yeah, so Elliot, Elliot left, and I, you know, was kind of like, "What's the next move for me?" Elliot was kind of like my mentor when I was there. So, um, you know, luckily at the time, sort of very similar to the Double XL thing, Noah was at a point where Complex was starting to get very serious about the internet, and they were like, "What are we going to do here? Like, let's hire somebody to help us figure this thing out, right?" Um, and I think at that point, at the very early days, like the website was kind of di- was separate from the editorial staff. It was like being run by somebody else. Noah was not directly overseeing it, but I, you know, he obviously co-signed me and got me the job. Obviously, um, and I think me and Joe and Joe Joe Lapuma were the only ones explicitly working on the website at that time. Um, and but that only lasted for like a month or two until Noah, like you know power monger that he is got control <laughs> over, over the website as well which ultimately was 
the good thing that happened because that allowed us to really be a cohesive team and Noah had a ton of vision of what we should be doing online. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I was, I was brought on again to be kind of like the online guy, like help us figure this out. And, you know, I think for me, the fact that I had had all this experience doing a print magazine and also running a website, like a daily website was a good mix because I could like kind of speak the language of the print team and like know what they were doing, but also teach them how to do things differently for online. Like I had to teach the whole staff of print editors like how to write a headline for the for the internet very different right i had to like what is the thinking that goes in be into a uh, headline for like print and what's the thing that goes behind for I mean, yeah i mean print he print headline writing you can be very clever like you don't have to explain what the story is actually about you can you know, like at double xl the the rule was always every headline to a feature is the name of a rap song like every single one if you look back at all those issues every single one is the name so it'd be like you know calling out names or something. It's like, what is that story about? Who knows? You have to read the deck, the description underneath to find out, right? Headline writing for online, you have to give them the whole story in the headline. You have to explain because, you know, people are going to share it with the headline. They're just or see you have online, online uh, uh, headline writing, it always like, or used to be like, you'll never believe what kind of uh, song Snoop Dogg put out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Just sort of trolling you. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing. But it's you have to really grab somebody's attention. You can't just be have this sort of artful like metaphor thing as a headline like you could for print. So again, another lost art of print. <laughs> yeah. This is irrelevant now. But um, but yeah, that's you know that's just you know one of the things. There's a lot of writing writing for online very different. You know, had to force everybody to kind of sign up for Twitter like when it first came out. There's a lot of resistance to that amongst like print people. Like, why should I sign up for social media? This is a waste of time. Early on in creating the complex media network and yeah. looking at all these websites, which websites were you really paying attention to? Besides Not Right, besides us, we had a meeting with Complex early. Yes. Besides like, um, I guess I guess the entire sort of NMC. And if yeah. you want to talk about us, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. No, but like <laughs> been great. besides besides all besides all of all of those, who were you really looking at? Honestly, I have to give credit to Joe for really setting the blueprint for which sites were going to be in the network. Like that was kind of something that happened, I'd say, like right before I got there. And I think he was really instrumental in handpicking, uh, you know, a lot of those sites. Or really not handpicking, but like telling the publisher, like these are the cool sites that are getting a ton of traffic. You should mess with these guys, right? Um, but you know, it's like still at the time we were. It was all those same independent, those independent sites on Smash, you mm -hmm. know, Two Doughboys. Yep. New Music Cartel, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, I mean, when did you first realize that that headquarters for Complex on Twenty Third Street was where they shot Big? Oh man, that's like my favorite thing to tell <laughs> Wait, people. Wait, you can't explain it like that. Big <laughs> <Okay>. the movie <laughs> was was filmed within those offices, like the toy yes. company. Yes. Tom Hanks yeah. worked at a toy company. Yeah, yeah. The toy company scenes were filmed at the Complex office. Yeah, right. Notorious was... B.I.G. was shot in uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> it's a very different thing. I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. Well, yeah. When I worked there, that was like my favorite thing to tell people. Was yeah. the the big fun fact. Um, I forget. Somebody told me early on, and I, you know, <laughs> went back and rewatched Big, and I was like, "There's that column <laughs> from right next to my desk." Yeah. Amazing. Great movie. So you you worked there and grew the internet operation from from very little to something very massive. What was that sort of growth like? Yeah, I mean that you know that was you know I feel like at the time we were kind of filling a void of like something that power vacuum was kind of <laughs> obvious to do like in retrospect, but like nobody else was really doing in terms of like you know we started doing a lot of news. We started you know whereas like I say like not nah, right didn't want to do news. They just wanted to make it about like new stuff, right? Which you know I, I think a lot of what was great about those sites was their focus, but ultimately people wanted this sort of 
more uh, a more robust content experience mm-hmm. around hip hop. Really, is what we got a lot of success with early was like doing a lot of lists. Like, I think this was before BuzzFeed even like or before BuzzFeed was like a thing. Like, we were definitely early on like doing lists, totally and, like, making that like an integral part of the internet experience. This was, and we we're like, there are a million lists we could just do that people <laughs> will love. Nobody else is doing these. It's just like ours for the taking, right? So, yeah. We got a lot of, um, you know, a lot of momentum pretty quickly just based on like doing obvious things that nobody else was doing and well, being consistent about it. Yeah. You know what I mean, so that's that's a huge thing. Number two, I think what you guys were really successful in doing was staying niche. Sure. So those lists were like directly towards the people who were really going to react for those. It wasn't like BuzzFeed with broad things. Yes. It was like very specific and people, you know, best rappers over 30. Yeah. And people really got passionate about that yes. stuff. Yeah, cuz a lot of it was like let's put ourselves inside the mind of like a real a real music fan and think like what are they going to care about? What are what's going to make them want to talk about it on social media, you know what I mean? Right. Um, this was early Twitter days. Um but yeah, I mean I think we were we were cool like catering to that very niche audience cuz we recognized nobody else was catering to them and there was a big opportunity there, you know. And can you talk about the owned and operated sites as well like uh Pigeons and Planes? Sure, yeah. I mean that, you know, I feel like that became a thing maybe a few years later. Um I forget exactly how long, but, but yeah, I mean the you know, the site grew, you know, I think when I started there the content team was like you know, 15 people or something like that, mostly print, print people. Um, and then when I, when I left last fall, it was like 120, 130 people. Um, so yeah, a lot of it was like, how do we, you know, we figured out this little model of like what works on complex, like in a small scale, how do we apply that to not just kind of like rap music niche stuff, but you know, we then sort of launched all the verticals of complex We're like complex style, complex sneakers. Like how do we kind of apply that model to all those different verticals, all those different topics. And then how do we kind of apply that, like that model to other sites as well, other brands like, you know, pigeons and planes was already a, an amazing site started by, you know, by Jacob. Uh, you and know, Jacob actually worked within complex, right? And then yeah, yeah. like so, he had this on the side. So yeah, uh, he started that on his own, like as an independent site and then complex, bought it it was actually i believe the first site that they bought like outright before that it was just sort of revenue sharing stuff but um but yeah that was a, a new thing of like how do we apply this to a totally different brand and kind of you know add some of the same strategies to what they're doing while still staying true to what what jacob does you know so um so yeah that that obviously we had a lot of success with that to the point where we were starting new brands and buying other sites as well and you know, to the point where I think, you know, by, by the time I left in 2015, it was like, you know, we had obviously the like verticals of complex, but then we had like 10 other owned and operated sites, multiple sneaker sites, entertainment sites, like all, all, all it was a stuff. big operation, big operation. <laughs> you yeah. had big company parties. Like this is a totally different company than you walked into years before. Definitely. Yeah. Which, you know, is, is amazing. Like to see that transition and to be, you know, to be a part of, of making that that transition and a lot of this was really like Noah's design like he's had the vision for this whole thing and um you know I was there to just kind of like help him make it a reality in terms of like the logistics and making the trains run on time and in a lot of ways I was really kind of like the behind the scenes person creating the structure for how does this thing work you know what I mean doing the budgets for it doing the hiring for all the teams you know what I mean which um you know is, is very time consuming stuff but very important you know what sure I mean? so um yeah seeing it grow to such a huge 
a huge place, especially when I hired most of those people. <laughs> it was like amazing to see, you know. Yeah. What was it like uh, sharing an office with Joe Lapuma for those for those uh, probably two years, three years? It was amazing. Yeah, Joe was a great office mate. Um, <laughs> probably the most passionate person that I know about like you know working on the internet. He's very competitive. You know, he believes he, in Omerta. <laughs> yeah, he would get very mad when somebody would scoop us on something. Um, and, you know, get very mad when people weren't doing their jobs. <laughs> so it's like, it, it's a great energy because I'm, I'm kind of, I think we were a little bit of yin and yang. Like, I, I'm very, like, laid back, like, even keeled. Joe's very laid back, too, but he's very passionate, like, gets very heated about certain things that, you know, annoy him. So, like, I think us together was a great, a great partnership in that, like, you know, we, you know, kind of had both sides of things. So Yeah. And can you talk about your working relationships with Noah and Elliot? I, I'd say both. The, you know, I'd say they're probably my two biggest kind of mentors in the game. Um, obviously, you know, I've been working with since I was, you know, like 20 years old or something like that. Um, and has taught me so much, you know what I mean? And like given me multiple jobs, allowed me to come back to Complex after leaving Complex for a brief inter- interlude. You went to Spin Media for a second? I went to Spin Media for like four months mm-hmm. and then was able to come back for, for a different job at Complex, which was, you know, which was great. Um so yeah, I mean, you know, Noah, it's like, there's nobody like I see more eye to eye with in this business than Noah in terms of like, I'll have a thought about like a song or something and I know exactly what <laughs> Noah is going to think about it. You know what I mean? And like, at, at, at the end, I felt like part of my job was like anticipating what is Noah going to think about this? <laughs> like, you know, I'd work on the magazine, I'd be like, Noah's not going to like this cover line. Let's try to come up with something that, that, that he is going to like, you know what I mean? So, um, you know. Uh, and, you know, similarly, Elliot, like, you know, was also a big mentor to me, especially in those early internet days. And, um, you know, the fact that he trusted me to, like, run a magazine sort of under his under his watch when I had very little experience and to, you know, do whatever with his website um, was great. Like, I literally, like, sketched out, like, when it was like, okay, what is the XXL site going to be? I, like, created a sketch of it and, like, brought it to the web design person. It was like, make it look exactly like this. <laughs> And Elliot was like, that sounds great. Let's do it. You know, so, um, you know, I, I, I've learned so much from both of those guys about writing, about writing with a voice, um, you know, and, you know, J- them and, you know, Sasha Jenkins, all the Ego Trip guys really have been kind of in- inspirations to me in terms of like, you know, how smart they are and the way, how funny they are, the way that they approach everything, you know. What was it like leaving Complex the first time as opposed to the second time? Um because like this is this is a company that you'd been at and you basically helped build for I don't know like seven years six years and these are like your best friends in the industry yeah. pretty much and so like you then leave and go against the family <laughs> you know it's always a little weird to leave um, you know was it a long time coming I wouldn't say it was a long time coming no it was just sort of like you know some opportunities started presenting themselves and I was like you know always take the meeting always hear people out and. You know, it seemed like a great opportunity to, like, kind of s- spread my wings and try something new. Um, did you say you were going to a doctor's appointment? <laughs> yeah. How did you fake meetings? Um, pro- probably. I mean, you know, it wasn't like people are not keeping that watchful than I most of these media companies. These I don't know. Every time that I take a meeting, I'm always like, oh, Eric, I got a... I have a friend downtown. Right. No, <laughs> by the way, when we had Mary on the podcast, she was like, I didn't like working for MTV because they know when you're at your desk. Oh, because of like, yeah. <laughs> No, it's not, it's not like that. But, um, you know, at the, when I first left, I was not, you know, I was uh, not as senior as I was when I came back. Like, I was, I was really kind of like, 
you know, head head editor kind of on the, the web side of the operation, but there was, you know, I was also reporting to, at the time, OJ Lima, who was sort of the managing editor for the whole brand. He was overseeing, uh, you know, him and I were, were working very hand in hand in overseeing the web operation, but he was also overseeing the print operation and, you know, making sure those those trains run, run on time. Whereas when I came back, I sort of got his job because he had left to go to VH1, VH1 at the yeah. time. So, um, so yeah, so then when I came back, I was really overseeing the, the whole operation, including the print operation and, you know, helping to be kind of the liaison between the content department and the other teams at the company, sales and all that, that stuff. And then that was also right when they were starting the video department as well. So um, coming back was like a, you know, a, a much bigger thing than I was focused on previously, which was just internet solely. And and so how did you how did you tell Complex when you were leaving for Genius? How did I tell them? Yeah, you know, I told I told Noah, <laughs> you know, and Noah, you know, is a very understanding. Listen, you had to anticipate guy. what he was going to <laughs> not yeah. like about this. <laughs> no, he was a very understanding guy. Yeah. Like he, I think he got it. You know, he understood that you know we had done so much together and. Um, that this was a like a really cool opportunity that in a lot of ways was kind of like sort of tailor-made for me in terms of my background and what I'm passionate about. Um, that being, you know, kind of the, some of the stuff that we talked about with Scratch in terms of like mu- music, but also like the creative process and the producers and, and all that, that, that kind of stuff, um, which is like, you know, I think he understood that like I'm passionate about that at Complex. I was doing a lot of the like less fun stuff, you know, like, a lot of hiring, like constant hiring. You know, when you have a team of 100 plus people, it's like someone's always leaving, someone's always coming, right? Um, a lot of that, I was doing a lot of the budget stuff, like crunching numbers, like stuff that's like very important but less fun. So I think he understood that like, this was an opportunity for me to kind of pursue something I was super passionate about. Um, you know, he's cool with the genius guys. So it's like, you know, I think he saw it as a good opportunity for me. And you know, he's always been very understanding about with all of his employees about you have to, you know, make the decision that's best for you. You know what I mean? Like, obviously I'm sure, you know, behind closed doors, you know, you guys know him and Joe are very competitive. I'm sure they're like, fuck Brendan. <laughs> Probably not. No, no. Still yeah. friends, yeah. still friends, still hang out with them. But um, yeah, I'm sure that they were a little, you know, perturbed, but yeah. You can't talk about Complex without talking about Rich Antoniello. He's, he's famously a... How do you describe him? <laughs> he's 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 got a way with words, <laughs> a lot of curse words. Um, I want to know what's the best thing he has told you over the years. I, I mean, you know, Rich, very smart guy, like one of the smartest people I know in the media business. Um, you know, has given me so much great advice over the years. I can't point to one thing. I mean, he he, all, you know, I think what you're getting at is the crazy shit that he says. <laughs> which, yeah, I mean, he definitely had a, a reputation for, of course, at the. At the uh, Christmas party yeah. every year, people would take bets about how many times he would drop the F-bomb <laughs> during his speech, and he would get progressively more and more worked up about, like, fuck the competition, <laughs> which was, like, you know, it would just rile everybody up. Like, he's a great, you know, sort of cheerleader for the company. Um, and But, yeah, he definitely had a, you know, reputation for cursing a lot in meetings, and, like, you know, you'd hear screaming coming from his office, but never in a bad way. It's just that was kind of his, his vibe, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rich. Rich is a he's a character. You go over to Genius, and your new title is uh, director of content. Director of content. So you have your hands in in every sort of pie over there. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a technology company, sort of historically, with like this great community. Um, and but they've never really had like a content team per se. It's like not really what they haven't had like a structured thing like that. Um, you know, they have a, 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 some some folks on the staff devoted to the community, 
And then right before I got hired, they hired Rob right. to kind of lead kind of a new artist relations thing. Um, so, you know, they had kind of had like the community sort of like getting artists to do interviews. That was sort of a thing, but there wasn't a lot of structure to the whole thing. So they kind of brought me in to figure out what are we doing with content? Um, you know, you know, how are we going to structure this thing? And, and, you know, my, my, uh, sort of philosophy coming in was, you know, a lot of interesting stuff happening on genius. Like, you know, people write really cool annotations, communities, very passionate and active talking about cool stuff. A lot of great, like knowledge about music on the site. Like if you really are in, in the thick of it and like digging into all the annotations or in the community, but there isn't really like this easy sort of entry point to genius. It's like, wh what do I do on genius? Where do I go? What's genius doing? It's not really like an easy way to find out. Right. So all the stuff that I'm doing now is kind of like geared towards just opening up genius to like sort of the broader community, um, you know, to, you know, we're, we're doing articles, we're doing videos, we have a social media team. Um, you know, these are all ways of, you know, taking cool, interesting stuff, the idea of genius as this source of music knowledge and just putting it out into the world in these ways that people can actually share, you know, because how do you share a song page with all these great annotations on it? It's not, there's not a headline. It's not so easy, you know, but if you, if you create an article about that really interesting annotation, that's something that people would share. You know, you create a video out of it, that's something people would share. So, um, you know, it's just about opening it up to the world, getting more people to join Genius, sign up for Genius accounts and contribute knowledge. I mean, that was, you know, I actually only got involved in the site as like a community member last uh, last summer, right? And because I was like, you know, let me see if I actually want to get involved in this company. What is this sure. thing about? And I got like really into it, like super addicted to like, you know, to writing stuff on the song pages and in the community. And um, I was like, why Why are all my peers in sort of the music media world not on this platform, like using it? You know what I mean? Like, why do you find that is? I think it's just for, for the reasons I was saying. It's just there isn't like a lot of awareness about what's happening there. It's like, you know, kind of has this, this reputation as like, oh, they, you know, they wrote a bunch of kind of jokey annotations back in the day. But I, I don't think people are really wrapping their mind around like the the long-term value of what we're creating with Genius, which is like this this lasting source of knowledge about music, you know what I mean? Which doesn't exist anywhere. And like, that's, you know, working at, at media companies, it's very kind of like fleeting. It's like, this is the news of the day, and then the article is gone, and you it's off the homepage, it's gone forever. Whereas like, you know, we're creating these song pages that like when you Google that song name, it's one of the, the top thing or one of the top things that shows up. And you'll get the lyrics, but you'll also get all this interesting information about the making of the song. Right, about, the context of you know, the song, de you yeah. Know, deconstructing the lines and the, yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, I, and that's always, for me, you know, I like collect magazines from the 90s and I'm really into like finding the like, the context, the historical context of music, particularly hip hop and like, and exposing like younger generation to that. Because a lot of kids like, they don't know like, sort of history has been rewritten in so many ways that people don't know really the, like the, the backstory, the context behind a lot of music. Right. So. Well, hip hop is your love and your passion and sure. has been your business for the last, yeah. you know, ever since college. How much are you involved with the pop stuff, with the news stuff, with mm -hmm. annotating other articles? Yeah. Have you annotated the Constitution? N not yet, but <laughs> I could. Somebody yeah. else has already annotated the Constitution. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, I know. Better than I could. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very involved in all aspects of it. I mean, you know, I think one good thing about being complex is it, it taught me how to really apply my skills to any kind of content, you know, mm -hmm. what I mean? not just music. Um, but, you know, if, if you guys know me, I am very passionate about hip hop. I'm also very passionate about pop music and R&B and like the connections between different genres and really all music I love, you know. Prove so, it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm the number one New Kids on the Block scholar on Are you Genius, really? And I'm also the number one EPMD scholar. So, Congratulations. So I'm, 
I got it all. I got all my bases. Do you have a Wikipedia page? I want to add those two facts. <laughs> I don't, but if you want to make one for me, yeah, I'm down. I'm actually kicked yeah. off of Wikipedia after I for vandalizing several accounts. I tried turning uh, Michelle Kwan into Michelle Richomi Kwan. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Yeah. doing it for the culture. And also McConan into a piece of broccoli. But you know, whatever. Yeah. Congratulations on everything, especially your new son. Thank you. And uh, hopefully you'll get to sleep one of these days. Wait, the sleep's going all right, actually. The sleep's going pretty good. He started sleeping through the night like two No, I'm talking ago. about you, though. No, no. I'm saying he started oh. sleeping through the night, so now I'm like, I'm good. Like, oh, I, nice. I get, can get a good, you know, seven hours of sleep now. It's pretty oh, solid. Congratulations on that. Thank Would you. you say that your son is a sleep genius? <laughs> yes. I actually also just signed my son up for a genius account, so he's going to start annotating baby music. Yeah, definitely type before you talk. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, dude, friend. Thank yeah. You. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Waste of Time with It's the Real. Jeff, if people want to find more episodes just like this one, where can they go? You can go on SoundCloud.com slash A Waste of Time, just like the name of our podcast, which is called A Waste of Time because we do not know how to sell ourselves. We are also on iTunes. Search for A Waste of Time with It's the Real or go on Google Play. I'm not sure how to use Google Play, but I know that it's there. Please search for us there. Also, you can find us on Twitter at It's the Real and Instagram at It's the Real. Just a lot of It's the Real news. Let me just say, by the way, please, go leave us a nice comment on iTunes. Like, we've come to this sort of, like, plateau. I feel like there was a good portion of time where people were leaving comments for us, but now we don't even get any. Yeah. Well, I mean, people leave us comments elsewhere, just not on iTunes. Go on iTunes. Like, we are specifically saying leave us comments on iTunes. And leave us comments on iTunes. It's, it's a demand. Yeah. Also, go tell a friend. Go tell a friend about our podcast. Go tell a friend about anything It's The Real Based. Jeff. Which friend do you want to tell? I want to tell a bunch of friends at Pata, our our friends in uh, Amsterdam who provide us with clothes. Yes. Can you say it in Dutch? Pata. <laughs> Pata, Pata, Pata. Shout out to those guys. Um, they are, like, what I like about them is that they don't give out a lot of clothes, right? Correct. But they do give it to us and they... <laughs> and I like that. <laughs> and I like that. That's, that's great. But I like it because they say that they... They want to treat us like a family. You know, like, if we're ever in Amsterdam, like, they'll let us stay in their apartments, like... That was very nice of them. That was very nice. And, you know, like, I don't smoke weed, but I do like to ride bikes, and so I would love to go to Amsterdam, and I feel like, you know, they're just good people, and I'd love to support them, so shout-out to Pata. Also, Pata guys, go tell your friends about A Waste of Time It's Real. Also, their clothing is great, and everybody should wear it, not just us. Right. I'd like to tell our friend, Ray out there on Long Island. Rodriguez? Ray Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Who has been a long, long, long time fan of It's The Real. He has, he's written with us since the, the videos on Not Right. He was a, he was in our video. He was, he was in one of our videos, our second anniversary video, I believe. He was also a huge proponent of us in the Not Right comments. Yeah. He when was heavy from, in there. When people from Poland would say, these guys don't know anything about hip hop. Yeah, Ray would come to our defense. So shout out to Ray. Ray also loves the dancing videos that we have on Snapchat. So go and check Instagram. that out. And Instagram. Go go check that out, guys. And uh, stay tuned for another great episode next week. Next week is going to be a great episode. <laughs>